Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Hey everybody, welcome into another All-22 Podcast. You got Chris and Ray again, and today we're going to do things a little different because I am unprepared, so I'm going to hand it off to Ray, who's going to lead the discussion today, and uh, we have a very fun one to talk about. Yeah, you being unprepared and then me having to prepare is just basically as if we're both unprepared. It's just basically what it is, but uh, we're going to go through this thing. Um, We are about a third of the way through the season, right? I think mathematically when... You take into account that now we have 17 games and like some teams have had a bye week. Other teams have played six games while others have played five, like kind of all amounts to like a third of the way through the season. So uh, I, I feel like it's a good time for us to really sort of take a look at just overall, how have guys performed at each position through the first you know, third of the season? What are some takeaways that, that we can take from, you know, the first 33% of, of the year, uh, has anything sort of changed from our initial takes leading up to the season during the preseason? What's changed? What has sort of been reaffirmed and what surprises do we have? Right. So, uh, a little fun exercise that, uh, we did sort of right before this episode began to, to discuss is we basically took the average of the top players at each position in the game. What is their average grade uh, season grade so far for 2023. So what's the average grade for the top 20 graded quarterbacks uh, for 2023? And then the top 30 players at all other positions, receiver, tight end, tackle, guard, center, uh, defensive interior, so on and so forth, right? Just to get a sense of those top line guys, how are they performing? And is any of that a surprise? Does that give us a snapshot into what we see during the games on Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays uh, that can kind of help explain some of the trends that we're seeing. So uh, I think I think that's a pretty fun exercise to take today, and then we can maybe dive into some, of course, as we love to do here at All-22, maybe talk a little bit deeper about the offensive line because I do think some of this is interesting, right? Um, so with that, we took a look at the average season grade of those top players at each position, right? And just to go through the list quickly, you don't have to memorize it or write it down. It's not going to be a quiz. Uh, the top 20 quarterbacks average season grade for 2023, 78.1. Top 30 for everyone else, right? So wide receiver, 82.1. Running back, 77.7. Tight ends, 71.7. Offensive tackle, 76.1. Guard, 69.8. Center, 67.4. Defensive interior, 79.2. Edge, 84.1. Linebacker, 78.9. Cornerback, 77.2. Safety, 75.9. Your immediate takeaway might be that that's a lot of 70s. Like, is that, does that actually tell us anything? Is that any kind of differentiator? Uh, You know, what, what am I able to glean from this? So, take a step back, the top two position groups, as far as just season grade performance is concerned with the top 30 players, is edge and wide receiver at 84.1 and 82.1 respectively. 
Those are two very high value positions. On the flip side, the bottom two, as you, you might have you know heard and stick out to you, center and guard at 67.4 and 69.8. So it's kind of interesting that not only are these positions high valued, right? Putting aside quarterback is obviously it's its own beast. Edge and wide receiver are two of the next three most valuable positions in football. And right now, the top players at those spots are performing at a very high level. So, I mean, Chris, what, what's your takeaway on that kind of data? You disappeared on me. So I, I think I got the whole question, but you, you're back now. So I'm just going to run with it as if I heard just you. And hopefully it. I answered you right. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually going to, before I answer your question, though, I want to say the two positions that really surprised me were offensive tackle and defensive interior. So I know we're going to talk about draft class and how that kind of impacts the way that these positions are performing over, you know, what our expectation was, but defensive interior, especially is one that's interesting just because of the, the depth that was lacking from maybe two or three of the last few draft classes until like this year, right? Like the last few haven't been great. And then this year, Jalen Carter looks good and a bunch of other guys look good, but seeing that position being one of the top ranked positions in all 22 is really interesting to me. And I, I do want to hear your take on that a little bit later, but edge mm -hmm. and receiver, right. Talking about why those two positions are the highest scoring. I think it's, I think it's a few different things. So let's start with edge, right? The so many studs, right? There are just so many studs at the edge position. We got six or seven guys essentially fighting for defensive player of the year at one position with Bosa, Garrett, Parsons, Hutchinson, Crosby, Watt, and that's not even including Demarcus Lawrence, who is performing higher than some of those guys. That's the top, right? Those are the studs. Right below that, we have guys like Rashawn Gary, Van Winkle, Espinosa, Hendrickson, Highsmith, Josh Allen, Granderson on the Saints, right? Like th there's this next group of guys that aren't superstars. And before the season are probably guys you would have said, that's a weakness on my team. I need to go get somebody better. And these guys are balling out, right? Except for Trey Henderson, of course, Bobby. We wouldn't talk <laughs> bad about him. But if you had one of those guys, you might have been saying, like, I need to do better. Those guys are crushing it right now, right? With, with low to mid to high 80 grades, um, maybe they're not superstars. But again, that position, we're talking about a bunch of guys with 90 grades. That's unprecedented, right? That doesn't happen. Um, but it does at the edge position. And we've talked about talked about in past weeks how edge is a position where it's very unreliant on other people to be successful. Yes, having a cornerback that can cover a little bit longer will help your edge rusher get home. But PFF takes that stuff into account, right? If it takes four seconds to get a sack, that's probably not a pressure that they achieved, right? It's probably something that will go down as, you know, quarterback not doing his job effectively or, you know, an offensive lineman, you know, doing maybe doing effectively at his job, but it just ended up being a sack. But regardless, right, that will go into the grade. Th these guys are, are, are doing their job really well, which is to set an edge on run plays and to get to the quarterback, right? Those are two things that they need to do. It's not rocket science. But it is, uh, from a skill perspective, very difficult. So seeing this kind of new breed of athletes come into the NFL with this build, it's pretty cool. And it's an NFL that I'm like really enjoying. I hope other people are. Um, but, it, but it is really cool. Let's go to receiver, right? It's another position with unreal depth. You have Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams, Diggs, Thielen, 
uh, Keenan Allen, these kind of like old school receivers that that are continuing to just crush it, right? Those are guys that we've kind of expected to fall off the map and just haven't yet, right? They're playing beyond the age of expectation. Then you have guys that are just entering their prime, right? AJ Brown, Brandon Ayuk, DJ Moore, who are also crushing it. But then you have these young guys, right? Guys that usually it takes years to get to this level, but you have Jamar Chase, you have Justin Jefferson, you have Amon Rod St. Brown, you have Jalen Waddell, who are already playing like they're the top receivers in the NFL. So to have that depth at a position, again, just unprecedented. And then you have guys like Puka Nakua, Rashi Rice, guys that are stepping up as rookies, not the expected guys, but guys stepping up as rookies that are also playing extremely well. Michael Wilson, just going to throw his name in there. Michael Wilson, yeah, absolutely. But this is another position where it's not super relying on everybody else. Yes, it's relying a little bit on the quarterback because the quarterback needs to at least give you the opportunity, right? The receiver gets the ball in their hands. Then it's up to them. Can they make the catch? Are they making difficult catches? Are they running good routes? But it's really, it's really, again, it's really, can you run a good route? Can you catch the ball? What are you doing after you catch the ball? It's a lot of that, right? And these are all players that can do that at a really high level. And there are other guys, right? CD Lamb, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave are performing at high 70 level, but that's underperforming from like our standpoint, right? So like that's the depth we're talking about at these positions where it's it's really exciting, but it's not surprising to me. Like those are the two positions. It's not surprising at all that those are successful positions. What does it mean for your team, right? When we talk about what position should you take early, we talk about the depth of the position too. These are two positions. Yes, you probably are thinking about with if you're a late first round, early second round pick, right? Are you getting the edge rusher? Are you getting the receiver? Because those are the highest valued positions. But sometimes you have to take a step back and go, what's the difference between a Justin Jefferson and a name the player, right? Uh, Stefan Diggs, a, a um, Garrett Wilson, right? What's the difference? Because maybe you're taking a uh, uh, Justin Jefferson in the second round or late first round. But if a Garrett Wilson is there third round, maybe fourth round, what's the better move, right? And some of these positions that we're going to talk about, there is so little depth that you might end up taking a position that's way less valuable just to get the one guy that's good at the position, right? So all things to think about, but no, I'm not surprised at all about edge and receiver. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we've mentioned this sort of thing in preseason episodes, when we're talking about the draft and such, whether it's a startup or uh, a rookie, mainly startup, right? As far as the whole depth versus value and how early do you take a, a low value position because of a lack of depth and so forth. And I think the more data like this comes out, I feel like it, you kind of trend more towards addressing the scarcity at a lower value position than chasing the high end, high value position. I think there are exceptions, right? If, if you're not taking a quarterback or maybe you took a quarterback and now you're at the turnaround at the very top of the second round, if he's still there, I don't think you pass on a Parsons or a Garrett given their performance plus age. Um, but then outside of that, I think you have to really start to address scarcity when the time comes. Uh, offensive tackle, I think is one of those where it's high value and not as deep as these two positions we're discussing now. So that might be one where you really target where you go, Hey, there's, you know, about there's three or four premium positions that are of high value that you want to be sure to address. The tiebreaker there might be address offensive tackle early because it's not as deep. Uh, that may be a win that, that might push someone like a Panay Sewell above a, 
a high end pass rusher outside of, you know, maybe those two names, right. Or Tristan worse, maybe you move them up above a Justin Jefferson or a Garrett Wilson or something, because you can get receivers later. You may not get great offensive tackles later, at least not young ones. You might get an, an older vet that can kind of fill in and get you some, you know, mid 70 season grades for a year or two, but you're not getting that cornerstone player uh, for multiple years. So I think the more we see this data, you trend towards address the scarce positions first. Obviously, don't reach, but um, if the player is good enough, maybe maybe lean towards the scarcity. And just to sort of highlight, I think it's interesting, the dichotomy between wide receiver and edge. I feel like our listeners like to sort of get a peek behind the curtain as uh, of the best players in the world at this game. So I'm going to show them a bit of, of my team, right? Uh, and Which one? And, and, <laughs> Our, our, our home league, my team in our home league, right? Because I think this kind of highlights two different ways of going about these two positions that we just talked about at edge rusher, right? And we'll get into how like, you know, this team in particular is the fourth highest scoring team in this league, but it's one in five because it's like my opponents, it's almost like they know what we're doing, kind of like they're stealing our signs or something. Uh, I don't know. But um, in any event, yeah, I, I might be the only team in the, in, in the entire platform that performs as well. It is still one in five. With that in mind, let's look at edge rusher. Let's start there for, for a peek behind the curtain of my team, right? I have Micah Parsons, Josh Sweat, Josh Allen, Brian Burns, Daniil Hunter, Hassan Reddick, Cam Jordan, John Franklin Myers, and Nolan Smith. You could probably surmise, yes, I obviously went very heavy at edge. I kind of took the position of, hey, I'm just going to draft the good player. If they're the top player on the board, I'm just going to take them. Who cares if I have eight others, right? They're really good. And they are really good. The problem is this position is so deep. Chris wants me to stop talking. Uh, the position is so deep that while I have a glut of great players at a premium position, other players have good enough players at that same position that they feel good about it that you can't necessarily leverage that in trade negotiations too much because while I may have nine, another team might have three very good ones and maybe a young guy they're high on or something like an Adafi Owe or something to where they're not going to fork over high value assets for a great edge rusher just because it's a high value position because they still feel good enough about that, right? So maybe that's an example of leaning too heavy into one way, uh, whereas at receiver... I had four and then recently picked up my fifth. I got CeeDee Lamb, Drake London, Chris Godwin, Debo Samuel, Michael Wilson. All kind of, if you notice, on the younger end, right? Chris Godwin might be, I think, is the oldest one, like 27 years old uh, or so. Debo Samuel as well, 27. The rest are 25 and under, right? Young players that aren't the, the very top of the position, but you look at that and you go, you're pretty set. You have a handful of good young wide receivers and you're going to have them for a few years. None of them were drafted in the first two or three rounds. So I think it kind of goes to show you that you can address both of these positions in two completely different ways and still actually end up with a room that you feel very good about because while they're high value and a lot of people are targeting them early, they're just that deep to where you can still build a quality room if you look elsewhere during your drafts or your team building um, for players elsewhere that may be performing well, but at positions that aren't as deep like a center or guard, um, which as we mentioned are the two lowest scoring positions on average thus far this season. 
Yeah, you hit it on the head, Ray. And there was there was an article that you and I talked about where somebody essentially claimed there are 10 teams that right now would not replace their starting quarterback with Caleb Williams, right? And when I first saw that, I was like, that can't be true. Like, would I really take him over this player or this player or this player? And then I kind of took a step back, right? And I said, yeah, I would absolutely take him over Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, and probably a lot of the rookies from this draft besides CJ Stroud, right? Like, so when you're looking at the quarterback position, you really need to be sure that the guy that you're getting, you have full faith in. Because like, we're talking about taking a guy in the first round. And the reason I'm saying this is because in our startup draft, um, I didn't go quarterback first round. I had the ninth pick, I believe. And all of the guys that I was super confident in were gone, right? And since my competitors all had their guy, was it really worth it for me to go and say, just add the next best one, right? I didn't think so, right? So I I went with, um, I think it was Nick Bosa. I think he was my fir- first pick, which has ended up being really great, right? Um, I agree. There are other really valuable positions, but I think there are three or four edge rushers that, yeah, you take those guys because they're young enough and good enough. You take them first. And I will say, if you don't have your quarterback, you're screwed. So you can get, uh, like I got Aaron Rodgers rounds later, right? He was available because nobody wanted to invest in a 40-year-old guy. But guess what? Like I had him for three years. He took me to three you know, championships and it worked out. Um, and I think the flip side of that is if you can't get the Aaron Rodgers or you can't get a guy at the end that you feel super confident in, kind of like the joke I made last week about the Lions. Like I am more of a believer in go spend three of your first round draft picks on a quarterback because guess what? Like if you don't have the quarterback, you won't win but you're not like just reaching on a guy isn't going to get you to a win. So I'm of the mindset of make the rest of your team talented and good that you feel good about instead of reaching on a quarterback and then do whatever it takes to get the quarterback that you feel confident in, whether that's drafting a Caleb Williams or if that's trading for a Trevor Lawrence, right? Like I think those are strategies that I would prefer taking. And it kind of goes to like the depth conversation that you're talking about here. Quarterback is right now the fifth highest, uh, average graded position with 78.1, which is high, but that also means that there are a bunch of guys that are good enough for you, right? So if you don't have one of those top guys, you can probably skate on by with a, you know, this year, maybe you picked up Jared Goff and Jared Goff is performing really well. Maybe he was a free agent in your league. Maybe, um, maybe you took a flyer on Joshua Dobbs, who's been okay, right? Like it's, there are different ways to attack the quarterback position. And I kind of Yeah, go ahead. Sell high, right? Yeah, because I mean, Kyler's going to be back in two weeks and maybe Kyler's a free agent in your league. I don't know. Like, but like, those are things that you need to think about when you're doing this. And we didn't get to touch on it. So now let's touch on it, right? So we talked about those high positions with edge and receiver being one, two. Defensive interior was the one that surprised me, that one being as high as it is because of how poor recent draft uh, classes have been. So, Ray, you have the data in front of you. What are the reasons why? defensive interior is the position next up after the deep edge and receiver classes. Yeah. And we talked a lot about that. And I feel like it's almost like it, it kind of came back around and, and people were like, uh, no, don't forget about us. Right. But really, as you mentioned, I mean, the number one player at defensive interior this season is Jalen Carter, someone who is not in the league last year up until this year. Right. So we didn't have that guy. Jalen Carter is literally the number one defensive interior player thus far this season. 
you have Aaron Donald there. You've always had Aaron Donald there. He's still doing what he's doing. He's a number two ranked uh, interior player, actually tied with uh, Dexter Lawrence over there in New York. And then you have a bit of a resurgence. Someone like Daquan Jones in Buffalo, absolutely crushing it right now with a 90-plus season grade. Um, you have other guys that are really ascending, like uh, Oso Digizua, who for the last two years has been kind of like a, a spell role player type that's really developed into now a higher end uh, defensive interior player. And then you have other names here, Quinn and Williams. We actually touched on Ali McNeil a lot this past off season as a guy that we were really watching uh, for an Ascension. And he's proven that right with an 87 season grade top 10 overall defensive interior player. And then you have guys like Christian Wilkins, Vita Vea, Arik Armstead, DJ reader still, of course, absolutely crushing it. Just holding down the fort there with quality performances. Those are all 80 and above graded players. And there's some other names I didn't mention like Chris Jones um, who are performing really well. So you'll notice that it's kind of now you're really starting to see young guys sprinkled in with those veteran names that you've become accustomed to. Whereas I feel like in years prior, it was just those veteran names. And then a lot of young guys who had came in maybe had been drafted highly, but really weren't performing as well uh, up to their draft uh, position as they should have been. Like for example, Derek Brown took a couple years uh, before, before having a big year last year. Right. So it just took a while before these guys finally finally hit their stride. And I think when you add that to guys like Jalen Carter and even Jordan Davis is in here in one of the top 20 uh, performers at that position, you start to see that, that, uh, that, that floor, so to speak, for the position really rise up. Also, not sure which is the chicken and which is the egg, but guard and center are the two lowest graded positions thus far this season. So is it because those guys are bad and they're going up against... Uh, you know, these defensive interior players are going up against uh, just poor players week in and week out, or are these guys just really good? And that's why the guards and centers are suffering. So let's, let's explore kind of that conversation. I think when you flip it from the high side to the low side, it goes from these positions like edge and receiver to offensive line. That's, I mean, just offensive line. It's not center. It's not guard. It's not tackle. It's offensive line, right? Offensive tackle is eighth. Uh, guard is 11th center is 12th and you just look at that and go what's happening with the offensive line that's making this this floor sink right when we talk about the draft classes I think tackle surprised me because we have seen an ascension of these young talented players right like last year we were so excited about how Christian Darasaw Penny Sewell, Andrew Thomas, Slater, Mylata, Wurfs, all these young players were becoming household names, right? And they were, you're seeing highlights about them, which like awesome for all 22, right? Like that's so cool seeing those guys get highlight videos. Um, these guys are exciting young players. And this year they've all kind of, not, not all of them, but they've taken a little bit of a step back, right? Where last year we had guys in the low 90s, definitely in the high 80s to this year, the highest is like a mid eighties grade for anyone at the tackle position. And then it's a lot lower, right? And Slater right now is a low seventies player. So I think it's, I think it's injuries to guys like Thomas and, and last year to Slater where it's taking him a bit of time to come back from that. It's Trent Williams with an almost 10 point drop from his grade last year, which is something to keep an eye on. Why is that happening? Right. I think maybe the rest of the offensive linemen are around him are just, 
garbage, right? So that doesn't help him. It makes his job a lot harder. Um, but also, jeez. <laughs> but but also guys like Lane Johnson, right? And some vets like Ryan Ramchak and Laramie Tunzel, Tunzel being hurt, but like guys that just aren't really playing up to how they typically do. Yes, we have some surprises and good names like Zach Tom, Trent Brown, Bernard Ryman, guys that are playing better than we expected. But when you see the top of the group start to come down, yes, like having guys from the bottom start coming up helps, but it doesn't help bring everything up, right? We're just kind of sticking to this middle group. But there's something about this, Ray, that I wanted to kind of pick your brain on. And it's something I've mentioned on the show, and I know Bobby agrees with me very much, but how about talking about how QB intelligence and experience is a huge factor in offensive linemen production and stability? So um, looking at the quarterback group, right? This is the lowest aged quarterback group of starting NFL players that we've seen at least since 2002. There's an athletics article by Mike Sando where he actually averages out the age of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL by year. And this is the uh, youngest group that we've seen as far back as we've looked, right? And when you go to that age group, so right now it's 27.8. So just for context, that is the average age of a quarterback in the NFL. Last year it was 29. And it was basically 29 until 2018 when it was 30. And it was 30 for a couple of years. And then it was 29. And you have to go all the way back to 2012 to get back to around where we are now. So it is still higher than we are now, but back to where we are now. And that's, you know, you look at the NFL then and it was RG3, it was Andrew Luck, it was Cam Newton. It was, you know, a younger Rodgers. It was a younger Eli and Big Ben. It was these guys that were really good football players, but a lot of youth in the NFL, right? A lot of young quarterbacks. This is, this is younger than that, right? So we're talking about all of these teams in the NFL with quarterbacks that maybe don't have the experience and maturity to call everything out pre-snap to make the lives of their offensive linemen easier. I think that's a big factor in this, but I'm curious what you think. That's an interesting hypothesis. So I, I agree overall with that take. I want to throw something else in the mix here that also applies to this, right? But there was some scuttlebutt. It really came out this past week during the NFL games, I think people really started to notice mostly because of traditional fantasy, right? But in 2023, just red zone success, as far as scoring TDs, once you reach the end zone, since 2010, this is the lowest year or the lowest ranked year for uh, red zone success for offensive touchdowns and passing touchdowns. But of course the most field goals kicked by teams once they enter into the red zone. And so when I first saw the stat and kind of looked into it, my initial takeaway was when you're in the red zone, right? Or in a goal to go situation, you obviously can't throw over the top of the defense because there is no room over the top. You're, you're, you're at the goal line because you can't throw over the top. There's more defenders at the goal line, kind of sitting on those routes. You can't really throw around the defense too much either right? Because there's more bodies involved. So sometimes you just have to go through the defense. And if the offensive line play isn't up to snuff or the defensive line play is just better as, as a whole, you're going to start seeing this dip. But you bringing up the quarterback situation as far as, hey, just these vets to get, get you into the right looks. I never really applied it to this scenario, but that would make sense too, because right, there is a ton of youth at the quarterback position 
and I think that could play a part of it. And I think what's interesting too, this is I'm straight, this is off the top right now, just because you mentioned that right now. Like we said, we don't compare notes and just straight up just, you know, have our talking points offhand. Even some of the best performing quarterbacks in these situations in the NFL right now, while they are on the younger side for the most part, too. A lot of that is off script plays like Mahomes and Allen. It's creativity. It's making plays outside of the pocket, outside of structure. Not necessarily like when Tom Brady was still in the league. I just put us in the best look, put this defender in conflict, and boom, touchdown. So it's a great point, and I can't argue it. I think that's a part of it. I think I think it's it's probably you know like most things in life, a combination of all those factors, right? The offensive line play, the 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 enhanced defensive line play. And yeah, not having the the veteran quarterback presence or experience to combat that pre-snap. So I think that all kind of factors in. And the red zone stats really highlight that. But in reality, we're just seeing that throughout the games so far this season. I think the the you know the the average grades by position group really sort of bear that out when you look at it. It seems to make the most sense because the quarterbacks aren't one, two, or three when it comes to the highest performing position group either. So yeah, I think it bears out. And I think a lot of the reason this is happening is because of companies like PFF. Because when you're when you're an NFL team, I think in past years, you might have said, say you're the Falcons, right? You might have said, I don't feel great about my quarterback. I don't think he's ready. I'm going to go sign Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton is going to be my starting quarterback. And Andy Dalton would be a fine starting NFL quarterback for you. Are you going to win? No, no, you're not going to win games and you're not going to be a Super Bowl contender, but he's going to drive that offense in a way that a guy like Desmond Ritter is not able to do, right? And he would also be able to call out a lot of pre-snap things for offensive linemen to help them be successful. He would be able to do things at the goal line that, again, Desmond Ritter probably can't do. But teams are saying, why would I spend the money on an Andy Dalton for my team to be average when I can give this, you know, unproven young kid a, a chance like Ritter, like the Falcons are doing with Ritter? And if that doesn't work out, at least my draft pick will be bad enough where I can go get the next guy, right? And then give him a chance. It's kind of a dangerous game, right? It's a dangerous game for a few reasons. And one of them being that I think you need veterans in the locker room to help the young guys be successful. And I think you're seeing that with a lot of the quarterbacks in the NFL that fail. Right. And I think, you know, like, uh, like Tom Brady always made sure he had a guy like Blaine Gabbard or um, who's the guy the Patriots always have. Oh my gosh. Hoyer. Brian Hoyer. Right. Like Brian Hoyer, like those guys, no, they're not going to win games for you on the field, but they'll really help you win games from the sideline. Right. And I think that that is so important and teams are undervaluing how important that is to a team's success and a young quarterback success. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that's happy with how the Packers did the whole Jordan love thing. No, I wouldn't have drafted Jordan love again at the spot. I would have gotten a receiver. I would have helped Aaron Rodgers win some football games, but you know, I understand, Hey, let's get the young guy in the room with the veteran so he can learn for a few years before he gets on the field. No, Jordan love doesn't look great yet. Uh, he's young. And I think a big mistake that they made is once they transitioned the team to him, they let the backup quarterback be rookie Sean Clifford, who probably doesn't deserve to be on an NFL field ever, right? Like he's not good enough. Maybe he's a good sideline guy, but he doesn't have the experience that a guy like he's a good Hoyer, on the whiteboard. He's yeah. good on the whiteboard, right? But you need you need guys like Hoyer and Dalton who have done it before. And I think that's a big thing that's missing from the Packers kind of room. 
but taking it back to offensive linemen, right? Let's go into kind of draft classes. We talked about tackle position. They've been good. Like there has been good tackle draft classes that we think should have helped this be elevated. I think there are the other factors we've talked about hurting it. But when you look at guard and center, those are two positions that haven't had good draft classes, right? And I think that's a big, big factor in this. Every year you see four to five quarterbacks guaranteed to go in the first round. You see six to seven edge rushers being talked about in the same breath. Eight receivers, right? Every year it's, there's eight receivers this year that are going to go first, early, second round. And those are all projecting to be these great players in the NFL. But when you go to the interior of the offensive line, we're lucky if we have one of those guys that's being talked about, right? It's not every year that you get a, uh, a Tyler Linderbaum or a Quentin Nelson. And you have to go all the way back to those draft classes like 2018 with Quentin Nelson to get a prospect at that level. Like, yes, Peter Skaronsky this year, people liked him. We didn't love him because he was being projected to be a tackle. He moved inside. Great. He's He's been okay. He's been injured, but he's been okay. But that's one guy, right? Again, that's one guy. Look at Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson last year being taken in the middle of the first round. I, I believe those are reaches, right? Like you should not have taken those guys in the first round. I would have never done that. Uh, Vera Tucker, I think, was a bit of a reach as well. Cesar Ruiz the year before that, that's a reach, right? Like these aren't top prospects, guys, that for an invaluable position, I would want to spend a high draft pick taking. Um, you have to go to 2019 when you have uh, Garrett Bradbury, right? Like it's like there just aren't an abundance of these good prospects for the interior of the offensive line. So when you see a guy like Ryan Kelly, who's a late draft pick, and in, in, I think he was like a fourth round pick, like being successful, that's kind of how the interior of the offensive line tends to develop. Like it's not always first round picks that are the guys that are being you know, doing well in the NFL, but I think it's really hurting these positions because guess what? Edge and defensive interior, there's five or six of them every draft now that are looking really, really good. Yeah, and and to to even take it a step further back from that on a more basic level, there's 32 teams. They need five linemen. If you have even 10 offensive linemen per draft class that are actual quality players or end up being quality starters in the NFL – that's 10 out of like 160 that need, <laughs> that need to be quality players just as starters on an offensive line for for every team. So it's also just a supply and demand thing where it's just there's just not enough supply of great or even good offensive line prospects coming into the draft every year for what is demanded of them. So it perhaps it really is that simple and then when you're in opposing defense and you can move your best players around to get the best favorable matchups for them, that only just exacerbates the disadvantage that offensive lines have against defenses like th- like this. So that's why you see edge rusher as the highest graded position group in the league thus far, because you have a great edge rusher. Not only is he already better than the the, the opposing team's best you know, offensive tackle, but he's even more better, if that's proper English, than their weaker starter at offensive tackle on the other side of the line. So you could just shift them around and you have an even bigger mismatch than you normally would. And so, yeah, it just, it's kind of a snowball that just kind of upon itself just grows and grows. And as more edge rushers, more quality edge rushers and these freak athletes on the defensive side of the ball enter the league more so than on the offensive line, that just, it just creates a bigger schism year over year. And so where even when you have a great, if you, you know, just air quotes, great, because 
obviously it's, it's preliminary, but a great draft class coming in at a position like offensive tackle. That's great. Usually that just means like it's three or four players that make it a great class, but the NFL still needs 64 of those guys at least. So they're still playing from behind and kind of always will be, which again, if you want to circle it back to all 22, then in that case, jump on those guys because yeah, you might be passing up a great edge rusher uh, who, you know, maybe their value is a little bit higher and, and you might like them a little bit better, but the opportunity cost of not taking that offensive tackle uh, is greater than what you lose by taking, you know, what, what, whichever edge rusher is there on the come up in the next round or so, be it in a startup or rookie draft, just because of that scarcity that we touched on at the start of this episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Steven Sam of the PFF NFL podcast, for those of you that listen to it, they they talk about this sometimes too, about how, um, you know, you go to like practice squad offensive linemen and they are guys that like literally would be absolutely destroyed in an NFL game, right? Like you look at backup corners and receivers and, and uh, even edge rushers, like those guys would be fine, right? Like they'd come into an NFL game and they'd probably do okay. Like, no, they wouldn't be great, but they would do okay. They would get you by. But when you talk about putting into an offensive lineman from your practice squad into an NFL game, it's usually like the disastrous, right? These guys are not the same level. And you're right. It's because there are 10 quality guys in each draft class and then it's and then it's nothing, right? So I think we need to start seeing better groups of guys coming from college. And I think it's all relative, right? I think it'll 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 get better when you see these NFL quarterbacks start to mature and develop. But one thing I wanted to touch on that you said, which I think is really interesting, is uh, about creativity, right? A lot of the young quarterbacks in the NFL today, a lot of the best young quarterbacks are winning with their creativity. But creativity is a young man's game, right? So what happens to these guys what, when they start to age? How do they start winning? And are they able to continue winning, right? We talk about Josh Allen. Like, he's a guy that's super successful right now. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But his game is going to look a lot different when his legs aren't as mobile as they are right now, right? So he's a guy, he's a great example of that, of can a guy learn enough to be successful without his legs? And will he be able to learn the, the nuances of being an NFL quarterback? Things that Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning took years, right? Years to develop and become the best, at, you know, and, and what led them to being 40-year-old uh, players in the NFL, right? Whereas you see Cam Newton, not being able to get an NFL job because I don't think he ever learned those nuances. Yeah. And even if, even if he did, the fact is because of that style of play, by the time he was that savvy vet, he was so broken down because of all the hits that he took that he just couldn't last, which is another factor, right? And, and sometimes you can be overthinking things, right? When you're looking at a great player and you go, oh, well, I don't know, if, is their style of play going to be going to last when they're 33 years old? Is their career arc shorter than someone like an Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, sure, possibly. But would you pass on a Josh Allen, you know, for eight years or nine years? Uh, because maybe a much lesser quarterback and, and a much lesser quarterback that could still be good will be there for 15. You can kind of get in your own head a little bit, but you know, that, that is something to consider as they sort of get into their late twenties, maybe early thirties is how do these guys hold up with that style of play? Are they adjusting? Are they evolving so that they can extend their careers? And sometimes even when they do, right, it's not just Cam Newton. You could look at a, at a Tony Romo. He was a whiz 
mentally by by 2015 ish by 2014 2015 but he had taken so many hits he had broken his collarbone like 18 times that he just couldn't physically hold up anymore and couldn't take advantage of that so um all things to consider especially when you're talking about the quarterback position right so um again when you have just a young just stud style and you have josh allen who's still obviously entering his physical prime and has plenty of years left these aren't necessarily things you want to worry about right now and get inside of your own head but when you start looking at these types of players as they get to 28 29 years old entering the 30s just pay more attention how is their game evolving what is their time to throw? Is their time to throw decreasing? Are they getting the ball out quicker? Uh, are they adjusting? Are they still performing well without the use of their legs? Um, all things to consider at that stage of their careers. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, in my mind, it's like the Josh Allen, Joe Burrow debate. Joe Burrow has had some injuries, so I don't know if it's as clear cut as you know maybe it seems. But when you see what he was able to do this year without using his legs, still leading his team to some victories, right? Like it's it's because the mental aspect of the game comes pretty easily to a guy like Joe Burrow, where that's what, like, I don't know, Josh Allen has that. So like, as those two guys age, that's the de deciding factor to yeah. me. Right. And that's why I, I typically rate Joe Burrow a little higher than Josh Allen. And you know, that's, that's a make or break thing for some teams, right? Like that, that could be a big mistake if Josh Allen's career ended tomorrow, right. Where Joe Burrow might have 10, 15 years left. So something to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, everything you said, I think it's right. And, you know, I think it's something to keep an eye on these position groups and how they continue to develop in the NFL and the draft classes and how those will impact it. I know this upcoming draft class is a great tackle class, but I, I haven't heard anything about off interior offensive linemen. So something maybe you and I can explore and report back on. Yeah, for sure. Um, interesting. You, you brought up tackle and guard, right? I think you're going to see two of the very best this, this weekend. This is all I'm going to say about that game, but you have Olu Fashanu, uh, at tackle for Penn State this Saturday at noon, and then Donovan Jackson at guard for Ohio State on the other side as well. Those are, in my opinion right now, two of the top players at their position going at it this weekend. So if, if you want some preview into the future of linemen in the NFL because they sure need it, um, that's some good viewing. God, that's going to be some game. That's all I'm saying about it. <laughs> All right, cool. I won't press you anymore. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at TikTok at all22 underscore PFF and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts. And thanks for tuning in. I'm a